Wednesday, March 25th, 2020. Day nine of the apocalypse. Sup everyone, I'm Paul Clark. Sup Paul, welcome back to the podcast. Every day is a new challenge, isn't it? And countries are doing different things to fight the challenges. Supposedly, Germany has the least amount of coronavirus cases in all of Europe, where Italy is still struggling, Spain is struggling. Both of those countries have had a death toll higher than China, where this all began. But Germany says that its success rate is the fact that it's testing people. It's testing more than 100,000 people every week, which is a good sign that Germany cares for its country. Here in the United States, I don't know of anybody that's tested, even in the medical industry. So I suppose it depends on where you're at. But here in rural Oregon, I'm not seeing really any testing at all. Canada is taking it quite seriously. They just presented today that uh, all Canadians returning back home will see a max fine of a million dollars and three years in jail if they come back and don't self-quarantine for 14 days. No ifs, no ands, no buts, no socializing. Quarantine is mandatory with heavy penalties. Over the last few days, I've talked to a number of Canadians about their changed, altered, new world life in different parts of Canada. In this episode, we talked to a very dear friend of mine, a person that's been a part of my life for the last couple of years. We've been travel partners together on the river, on the ocean, going to islands and the high desert. We've been to Canada together. We've been to Hawaii. She lives in Portland, but she's a Canadian citizen. Last week, she decided to head back home to Roslyn to be with her family. So in this episode, we're talking to her about her quarantine and her experiences north of the border. Welcome, Kimberly. Only three weeks ago, we were at a fundraiser for the Freshwater Trust, commingling with 400 people. And less than two weeks ago, we were hot springing in Bingen. Where are you now? And tell me about the last couple of weeks of your life. Well, I'm in Rossland, British Columbia, which is a gorgeous little ski town in the southeastern corner of British Columbia in a region called the Kootenays. It's about a, a 3,800, uh, I think slightly less than 4,000 anyway, person uh, town. And it's it's where I grew up. It's where my father lives. And uh, I have been here for almost a week now. And to hear you talk about what we were doing two weeks ago, one week ago, it seems almost like a, a lifetime ago. You know, my life uh, was, I figured, pretty normal back then. I had a, uh, you know, pretty good idea of what my schedule was going to be like over the next month. And I don't think anyone, myself included, realized how serious this was. You were planning to go to Scotland for a whirlwind trip with your father to watch uh, the World Championships of Curling. I was. And that trip had been in the works since November of last year. Uh, We were to leave on April 1st, uh, go for two weeks. Uh, Yes, the curling was a hugely important part of it. Uh, My dad is a big fan of the sport, uh, big player of the sport. Yeah, uh, and I hung on to that. Uh, I hung on to that uh, dearly, and it was painful to let go of. It became very evident, literally, probably less than a week uh, before I left the States, but it became very evident that it wasn't going to happen. 
Tokyo has finally announced at least a postponement of the Olympics, if not a full cancellation for this year. And I credit Canada for that. Canada yeah, they pulled to, out. to doing the right thing. The first country and uh, Australia followed and, you know, Japan did the right thing. And I think they would have done it anyway. But I, I do give kudos to Canada for making the first move. It uh, wasn't a safe place to send athletes or to have people congregate to watch. I do understand, though, having given up my own Scotland dream, not given up, postponed. I'm hoping that by September things will have calmed down. But, um, yeah, it's it's hard to let go. And I'm sure when you're planning something as enormous as the Olympics, it was very hard for Japan to let go. You've experienced hours-long delays just trying to rebook hotels and cancel I airline have. flights. Yeah. But I, I do it with a uh, as much patience, patience as I can possibly muster. Uh, the people on the front lines there are overwhelmed. And in my experience anyway, everyone has been very decent about the situation, about understanding, about uh, providing refunds and vouchers and what have you. We went to Hawaii about a month ago. <laughs> and we were joking the, about the coronavirus. So this was in February, and we were still making jokes that all you need is a little bit of lime and the coronavirus uh, will go away. You'll, you won't be... Uh, what a different world we're living in. You're a very special person in my life. We've had some amazing journeys together. And this is an, a very unique, interesting, problematic time for our relationship. Remind my audience why why you're in Canada right now. Well, I'm in Canada for a number of reasons. Um, you know, and uh, I know that you encouraged me to go initially, although I, I, I think I differed with you slightly on, on the rationale behind it. I wasn't uh, fearful, necessarily, of what was going to happen in the United States, at least not at the time. Um, I was driven by a couple factors. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm one of the lucky people who can work from home. And uh, my company, out of an abundance of caution, shut our offices down early. We were told to go home uh, and to work from home. So I didn't have to be in, in Portland for that reason. Um, I mentioned my father lives uh, still in Rosslyn, B.C. And, you know, he's older. He's 76. Uh, I, I like to keep an eye on him. Um, and I did not want to be locked down and unable to get to him. I think it was that that sort of fear that my movement was going to be restricted at some point, potentially. Uh, I was well aware that uh, I would have to uh, self-isolate for 14 days when I got to Canada to uh, protect him and to protect others. But uh, it was the just not wanting to have my movement restricted, uh, wanting to be back in a country that I at least perceive to be more stable. Um, I believe Canada's response to this has been better. And, you know, I'm a citizen of Canada. So I, as, as you know, I, I left the U.S. on the day they announced they were closing the borders uh, to anyone but citizens and permanent residents. And while I actually can pass freely back and forth across the border, I'm a permanent resident of the U.S. and a citizen of Canada. Uh, I just, uh, something sort of visceral in an emergency like this happens, you just, you, you want to go home. And home is a pretty pretty damn beautiful place. How easy has it been to quarantine? Um, it, it's not easy within a household. And, you know, my dad and I are taking precautions. Uh, he, he went to try to hug me when I got out of my car. Uh, we probably came a little too close then, but we haven't uh, touched since. Uh, there's a lot of hand washing going on. He has a big enough house. I can, for the most part, live on one floor. He can live on another. And 
As far as going out goes, uh, I have stayed away from my friends, which has been hard. I have uh, left my dad to be the one to do the shopping, uh, like I think they do throughout North America now, hours when seniors and people who are immunocompromised can go shopping. So he's able to do that. And, you know, in any case, everybody's supposed to social distance. So I don't actually feel like I'm sort of being singled out in solitary confinement here. Uh, And again, the beauty of being in a a small mountain town, uh, there's so much outdoor space. I have been able to go outside, able to go for walks, go for walks with my dad six feet away from him and from everyone else. It, uh, it, It hasn't been that bad. And how's your dad feeling? You know, my dad's 76. He's, he's been through a lot, and he's, he's generally a pretty cheerful guy. Uh, I think he is a little bit amazed at how fast this has progressed. But he's also pretty set in his own ways. You know, he's not, he's not distressed. He's not panicking. And, in fact, no one in Rossland is. I think, you know, I have a sister in Vancouver, Canada, uh, a much bigger urban center. They're seeing a little more tension there around urban gatherings. It's just a far denser population here. Frankly, uh, there's a sense of calm. Everybody's being very neighborly. My dad's neighbor texted him yesterday uh, as part of a, I guess, check-in on the elderly, but she's also just a very nice young lady. And she and her husband said, if you want to come out on your back porch, you know, grab a beer, yell across the the fence at us, uh, we'd love to chat. Um, It's Yeah, there's a community-minded sense here. It's actually why a lot of people have moved to this part of the world. Um, You know, you talk about that in the paddleboarding world, but uh, there's very much a community sense in Rossland. People are behaving. I actually think this area was ahead of, of most places, certainly in the U.S. and even in Vancouver in terms of, you know, closing non-essential businesses, all of the parks, all of the skate parks are, are taped off and no one's really stressing out. There's uh, plenty of food in the grocery stores. Um, it's, uh, if you've got to be somewhere during a, a global health emergency, uh, I think this is probably one of the best places to be. I think Trudeau and Trump are on more opposite planes than they've ever been in terms of how they're handling it. Here, it is a crackdown still. I mean, there is no talk of loosening up. You know, we were the first nation to say, not coming to the Olympics. And especially even some of the more isolated and vulnerable provinces, the Northwest Territories got their first case and was like, oh my God, like, close borders, poop, everybody go, go away. Like, so you're the third person I've talked to in my new podcast series from Canada. I've talked to Eric Gonzalez from Calgary, where he's a filmmaker, and Shasta McCoy, who's a landscape architect in Golden, British Columbia. You're in Roslyn, British Columbia, and all three of you have a very similar positive tone about the community there, how people are adapting and surviving do you have any experience with people who might have the virus or or struggling economically because of this time not here to be honest but i do talk daily with my sister who is in as i said vancouver and uh i don't think she has heard of any stories there although they have cracked down uh you may have heard our prime minister justin trudeau has been Uh, like the angry parent with respect to what happened in the weekend. Some beaches in Vancouver were packed. People were ignoring the social distancing. Uh, And as a result, they are cracking down with fines and and other punishments for people there. But I I don't know of anyone with the virus. um, And I don't know of anyone in Canada who is suffering any hardship. Well, I actually will take that back. You know, there are some businesses in Rossland that are going to really struggle. This is a tourism-based town. There are a lot of... uh, 
small businesses, mom and pop shops. You know, one of my friends here, she runs the local gym, which has had to close. And that has been very hard on her, I think, both financially and uh, mentally. But Canada, like the United States, is planning a stimulus package, is planning aid to those small businesses. So I just hope that comes through as quickly as possible. I'm actually more concerned. Um, I know the U.S. is planning a similar package, but... I'm more concerned for, um, you know, some of the businesses and some of my friends in the U.S. who are in uh, the service industry who may have a harder time weathering this. Vancouver's doing this really cool thing now. They show it on the news every night. Um, at 7 o'clock at night, I don't know who started this and how it caught on, but everybody, not everybody in Vancouver, obviously, but a lot of people in the downtown areas, areas that are, you know, have high-rise buildings. Everybody at seven o'clock for the last few days, they come out on their balconies or they go out in the street and they cheer the healthcare workers. <laughs> it's like you are in Canada, aren't you? It's just like this burst of like cheering that erupts at seven o'clock for a few minutes and everybody goes back in and like it's uh it's kind of cool. I think there's a reason why all my guests so far have been from Canada. I'm I'm looking up there in, in many ways for for leadership examples. Well, we, you know, you can say you guys all seem cheery and optimistic and, and, you know, me, Shasta, Eric, but, you know, we in some ways have less to fear than folks on your side of the border. Uh, I'm not quite technically in this category because I'm a non-resident, but, you know, the people up here have a social safety net to a degree that people in the U.S. do not. So the, the fear and that sort of may grip the U.S. is not, you know, is in some ways more justified. Let's uh, pivot a little bit and let's talk about a mutual passion that both of us have, travel. One thing that you've been in my life is, is a poignant travel partner. You bring a different perspective to me than I would normally. I've been pretty selfish all my life about how I travel. It's usually solo. It's usually in my terms. But since knowing you and going to a variety of places from the Orcas Islands outside of Washington to the eastern mountain ranges in Oregon to Europe to Canada to Hawaii, so many places we've traveled to. You've broadened my perspective just by being my partner in crime, in, in travel. I don't know how we should describe ourselves. Well, uh, you're right. I love it. it. It is my passion. I discovered it rather late in life. Um, you know, I I didn't have the mentality that some folks in, uh, say, Europe do of doing a gap year after after high school. Uh, I actually waited. I, I had done some European travel, but I waited until I was in my mid to late 30s before I really set out on that path. And um, actually what uh, sort of sparked it was losing my mom. Um, almost 12 years ago now, actually, I know very close to the time when you lost yours. And, uh, you know, one of the thoughts in my head amongst the many at that time was life is short and uh, I should go out and see some more of the world. So I, I started out by going to an island called Roatan uh, in Honduras. And that uh, ended up turning into, uh, I, I quit my job in 2011 to travel for eight months. I came back. I, I did the same thing again for a year in 2015. Uh, spent a lot of that time in Latin America, Honduras, Guatemala, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Ecuador, Colombia, 
uh, and time in Europe, uh, Iceland and Ireland. And I think once you get that travel bug, it is really hard to shake. Uh, but, you know, and, and I was looking forward to this trip to Scotland with dad. Uh, I get to travel to a degree uh, with my job as well and try to make the most of those trips. Um, just last fall, I was lucky enough to be able to go to Switzerland and Italy, uh, met up with you in Slovenia, uh, which was wonderful uh, as part of a sort of combination business pleasure trip. And they sent me to uh, Scandinavia in, in November, which was fantastic. Um, I've spent uh, most Christmases and New Year's for the past 10 years in, in Honduras and on that, that beautiful Caribbean island where the diving is spectacular, Roatan. So it is hard now. I, I love travel, and I can't right now. And uh, what I love about what you're doing with this podcast is just hearing about all these different places mm -hmm. your contacts live. Um, yes, it's interesting, uh, interesting and educational to see how they're reacting uh, to to the current, you know, coronavirus situation. But you know, I I, I want. Uh, I want some inspiration. I want to fire up my imagination because I can't actually physically get on a plane right now. So, you know, you've told me about some of the people you've talked to, who you're going to be talking to, and, you know, take uh, your buddy in El Salvador. I want to know how the surf is and what kind of pupusas he likes. I want your friends in New Zealand to tell me the top three places I should take my oldest niece who adores Tolkien and can't wait to get there. Um, I want to know... I want to know from your friends in the UP in, in Michigan how the ice looks on Lake Superior this time of year as it's breaking up. I think I think learning about where other people live, it's just, especially right now, it, it will not only keep us sane and our imaginations firing, but, you know, I think it will, you know, when we are allowed to get back out and allowed to get back to traveling the world, help us revive the economies of some of these places that will really need it. Now, I know you mentioned, I think, in your, your last podcast with Shasta that there was some controversy around uh, one of your Instagram posts in terms of, of getting outside and, and, you know, naming places where that might not have the infrastructure to, to handle visitors. But honestly, I, I mean, I'm not suggesting everyone run out and travel now. Obviously, that's uh, not wise, not safe, and uh, not allowed. But these places, Places are really going to need visitors, and they're going to need uh, people to help out folks in tourism, service, hospitality. And I think just getting a feel for whether it's an audio feel through your podcasts or or some of the resources that are cropped up online, which are really cool. You know, you can go online now and take virtual tours of, of Yosemite and the Grand Canyon. A lot of museums around the world, like the Louvre, um, they've made these free virtual tours available. And I think it's just fantastic for people like me um, to be able to at least virtually continue to travel. At least to, to view it and perceive it. And with digital technology, we could share in real time with Zoom conference calls or Microsoft Office. I had a Microsoft Teams meeting today. So the people that I'm working with on this video project, we're all in different locations. And this is new to me. Um, it's, it, this is a really interesting time for me because I'm usually a solo traveler, a solo producer, a solo storyteller, and often it's about me. Sup, everyone? I'm Paul Clark. Listen to my story. But this actually might be a time where we get to share so much in real time with high-definition video technology. So 
it's going to, I've been complaining lately that I haven't really been inspired and things like this, but since the, this is the eighth day of the Corona virus quarantine, I've created a podcast and I'm interested in learning about where people are right now. So this is my introduction to like travel telling and you've been a big part of that. So I'm excited that this is an inspiring time. This is a, you know, a, an unstable, but, you know, important time that hopefully well, we could all learn from. It's certainly a time when the internet comes in handy. And as someone who <laughs> sort of thumbed her nose at Facebook and, and, you know, listened in, but it wasn't on it much, I have to say I have a newfound appreciation for the internet. And it is amazing how when we have to, when we're forced to kind of give pause uh, to our our daily lives, um, just how much reaching out we can do. I mean, I uh, just to give you a couple examples, you know, my sister, we, we did a, a virtual workout together this morning. Um, <laughs> we've never done that before. Uh, my, my turbo kick exercise group in Portland uh, has actually gotten together for live Facebook uh, meetings and an instructor, bless their souls, they're volunteering their time has gotten on and, you know, 20 or 30 of us will log on and we're still doing turbo kick together, only apart. And and one of the, the neatest moments for me, I, I happened to just be on Facebook when one of my friends from Roatan, Honduras, pointed out that, uh, you know, they're also on lockdown. They're, they have a curfew, even. The bars can't be open. Everyone has to be home uh, by six. Uh, he was listening to two of the best musicians on the island, uh, guys named Luis and Lisandro had set up a couch and amplifiers and uh, speakers and a computer on their rooftop deck and they were playing their songs and people were cheering and they were broadcasting it on Facebook Live. And so I got to see my friends playing some of my favorite music direct from Roatan sitting at my computer. So, you know, I, I, I do, I long for the day when, you know, I can close up my computer and actually get out and we can all get back to, to living uh, normally and traveling. But for now, uh, it it really has, I think, brought people together in in some ways, ironically, since we're all supposed to be physically socially distant. Well, we met online, so digital technology brought us together. We probably wouldn't have been in the same circles. So uh, the, the internet uh, allowed us to meet. And I remember one of our first applications was with Marco Polo. It's a two-way communication that I send a message, video message, you send a video message back. You were really reluctant about that. You're like, well, I don't necessarily want to show you what I look like in the morning or I'm walking down the street. I don't want to hold a phone in my face looking like I'm some sort of vain, narcissistic person. But we communicate every day, sometimes more than several times with Marco Polo. And it's fun. It is fun to watch you express yourself with, you know, you're, you're perfectly professional attire on as you're going to work <laughs> confident and with pride. And also in the morning when you may have just woken up or drinking a smoothie where you're at now and, and just it's, it's, it's honest and it's immediate and it's beautiful. So, yeah, we, we all complain about screen time. In fact, this new iPhone that I have has warned me a few times like, whoa, your screen time is at six hours today. You're going to go crazy. But uh, screen time is where we're at right now and hopefully the screen time will 
drive us back outdoors and meeting people when we can safely. That was a, yeah. a, a ramble, but no, I hope new, it carries over. Yeah. Um, just the, but, the connectivity. Um, you know, I, I work in front of a computer screen, so I have been in the past reluctant to spend any more time in front of a screen, but you know, I've I've spent honestly more time with my sister in the last week. I think um, playing board games and exercising than than I normally do, and have reached out just out of an abundance of caring too uh, to people I should have talked to six months ago, but didn't. Uh, you know, I have a friend in Calgary, a friend in the San Jose area, a friend in in La Ceiba, Honduras. Uh, we've all spoken, and it's been too long. And if this uh, crisis forces us to sort of slow down and pay attention to what's really important um and i think shasta said something similar to you then you know uh let's take some positives from it i am fortunate that i get to talk to you several times a day but thank you so much for being a part of this podcast of mine yours is an amazing perspective i learned so much from you and i can't wait to actually be with you soon thank you i hope it is soon thank you very much and um and i'm glad that you uh, like what i look like in the morning but there's a reason this is a podcast um <laughs> you've uh, you've made me feel comfortable doing it and it's been fun so thank you very much thank you so much goodbye i look forward to talking to you again later that's it folks Stay safe, stay healthy, stay sane, and remember, humanity is more important than the person.